certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. According to the state, Kira Glennon was either subdued or restrained and hidden in the footwell of Bradley Edwards' car while he moved her from one location to another. Welcome to day 88 of Claremont in Conversation. Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and Ali Pham with you today. So I guess again today in her closing submissions, Ms Barbagallo really painted a disturbing picture of Kira's final hours, didn't she? Oh, absolutely. We heard stuff today that um, I think she probably elaborated on things that had happened because certainly, Tim, I some of those things I hadn't heard before. Um, it was a bit more graphic, let's put it that way. Yeah, it was It was more Ms Barbara Gallo, as we said yesterday, bringing the strands together, but mm. she went uh, some, some steps further than that today and asked Justice Hall to come to the conclusions that she then suggested to him, were open to him, from the evidence and one of those as you mentioned right at the top Nat, was the fact that in Kira's hair was one of these carpet fibers that were said to match to the cabin um or the footwell of mr edwards's car uh, or and if not his car then certainly avs series holden commodore um and the conclusion that miss barbara gallo said that could be reached and should be reached from that was that because these fibres were tough, they were durable, they were made to be durable and didn't shed very easily, then the most likely scenario was that Kira's head or hair or both were in direct contact with that carpet. And that would mean, of course, that her head was on the floor of the car. And from that, Miss Barbara Gallo said that you can assume that she'd been subdued and it was basically stuffed into the footwell of that car to be hidden from view while she was being taken. And obviously we know where she ended up was in that bush grave in Eglinton. Yeah, I mean, it was actually just really confronting language and imagery that she was using. And I I guess, you know, we had listened to so many weeks of fibre evidence, but to hear that fibre evidence being used to explain how these women were abducted was, um, you know, it was actually quite confronting. She did use certainly a lot more descriptive um, passages, I guess, to describe their final hours. And and um, Tim, I was surprised at the, the the lock of hair, which maybe I wasn't concentrating, but I hadn't heard before that that was a separate piece. She called it pristine that was actually found um, near the body that was separated from her hair, which she described as being cut with a sharp object by the perpetrator. Yeah, Tim, can you talk us through these details? Because I must admit, I missed this during the trial as well. Can you just uh, talk us through exactly what Ms Barbagallo said about RH17 today? Yeah, well, I think we all did, Matt, because there was um, eyebrows raised in in unison when we heard this from Ms Barbagallo today. So our long-time listeners will remember RH17. That was a a very important um, exhibit because it was a pristine hair sample taken from Kira in situ in Eglinton. So this was before any examinations had been done, before the hair mass had been removed in the post-mortem. This was a piece of hair taken at the site. 
Now, we had, it would appear, wrongly assumed that it was cut by one of the forensic staff, by Dr. Margolius, perhaps the pathologist, um, and then placed into this yellow top container. But Ms. Barbara Gallo made it very clear today that that piece of hair that became RH17 was actually detached completely from Kira's head in situ. So it would appear, and what we presume now from that, is that in the act of being attacked by this knife that made such huge, savage cuts in the back of her head, the frenzy was such that it actually also cut, the hair, cut, yeah. cut this piece of hair in the process. But the piece of hair had then stayed in the precinct or in the vicinity of the body such that it could be clearly seen and taken and placed in this pot. And as Miss Barbara Gallo said, we did see a picture of it. Mm. And it wasn't just one or two strands. It's a lock of hair, more than 100 strands of hair. So you can imagine, um, and it, well, it just, it, again, brings into very visceral terms what happened to Kira on that night and in the final minutes and hours of her death, of her life that led to her death. Um, we've heard about the wounds, of course, but just the fact that it that that, that knife was so sharp and, yeah. and 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 swung in such a way that it was able to cut her hair as well as her neck, just again brings into focus the the barbarity of what happened to her. Um, uh, in 1997. I think she probably emphasised that today because she was trying to debunk the defence's claims that any of this evidence has been contaminated and she had to go to lengths to say, well, this wasn't a lock of hair that ha had been touched by anybody because it was separate. So mm. it was the lock of hair that contained the crucial fibres. So that's why we got, um, I think the she elaborated a bit more on that and that's why we presumed that it was, as Tim said, done at the gravesite by one of the forensic guys but today she made it quite clear no it was the attacker and that was i believe the first time because i i'm sort of as, as tim said we were what what you know mm -hmm. um so that's that came quite clear today because she wanted to show that nobody none of the forensic guys had touched it afterwards that could have contaminated it was there lying by her body. And I guess this might have been a little bit of a grey area for us because of the fact that uh, this was that point in time when the video obviously needed its battery changed and so the collection of that hair wasn't taped. Correct, yes. Um, it was logged um, and it was labelled and it was on all the lists but for whatever reason that, oh, you know, by hook or by crook or by luck, or by bad luck, that piece of evidence being collected wasn't actually on the video because there was, a, there was a few minutes of gap where the video operator at the time was actually changing the battery um, on the camera. Um, and so, yeah, perhaps that's where our confusion uh, came in. But um, it was it was certainly um, made very clear by Ms. Barbara Gallo today and Justice Hall asked her to reiterate, so you're saying that it was mm. cut at both ends and that and and, and she said yes um, it was it was not cut um, post-mortem it appeared to be cut in the act of Kira being killed yeah and Ms Barbagallo also um, used the fiber evidence to summarize the final hours of Jane Rimmer's uh, life as well so how did she uh, tie that together mm. well again it was the 
the type of fibre that was in Jane's hair or found in Jane's hair later that tied her, she said, to a certain area of the car and the one that um, uh, was in Jane's case was the boot. Um, and again, this was the specific type of carpet that was used to cover the boot and the back of the seat. And she said, because that's in Jane's hair, the assumption can be fairly made that at some point on that last night of her life, Jane was in the boot mm. of that car and her hair was in contact with that carpet. Um, and it goes to Ali's point with, and your point that when the fibre evidence was being rolled out, it was very technical, it was very dry, it was very, um, <laughs> very long. Um, but you can see why now that the prosecution spent so much time taking so much care to identify the, the the parts of the car, not just the car, but the parts of the car that, that those fibres were said to come from, because now, right at the end, they can paint this picture for Justice Hall of not only can we say that the, the girls were very likely in that car, but we can say with, you know, rare certainty on, on, on the evidence that, Kira's head was in the footwell and Jane's head was in the boot yeah. and that's you know perhaps where their their final journeys is, um, uh, ended. Yeah it really does um, come you know sharply into focus doesn't it when it's um, tied together in that way. Uh, she also Ms Barbagallo also was you know had a, a really strong crack today at the defence theories of contamination and you know mm. um, I think you know at one point she was saying it was preposterous mm. Yes she spent quite a bit of time, I think, um, rebutting any claims. She's covering, trying to cover every area she thinks that the defence might come in with, not only um, contaminated, but as Justice Hall said, uh, the pre-existing theory that some of these fibres could have been there from various places they'd been, from various other people that they'd brushed up on. So she covered that very, very uh, carefully as well. And... Um, I think probably her strongest point today, talking about the fibre and the DNA match, was the Karakata victim. To me, that's the big key, the big link. Mm. Yeah, and and that's where coincidence maybe stretches out to absurdity, as you said, Nat, is the suggestions made during the fibre evidence in the cross-examinations that possibly um, there might have been um, on the two nights that Jane and Kira were both in, in the in the Continent Hotel, a Telstra worker there that they might have rubbed up against. But then mm. you take it one step further and say, well, okay, but how did the um, Telstra fibres, which we say they are, get on the shorts of the Karakata rape victim, which were basically you know seized almost immediately after the attack, or certainly in the in the hour or two after the attack. Uh, was she supposed to have up against the Telstra worker on her night out yeah. as well? And what are mm, the chances mm. of that over yep. from 95 to 96 to 97? All of those three women that didn't know each other, had no connection to Telstra whatsoever through their work, their family, anything. Um, and all those three fibres appear um, on all those three victims. Um, and what's the one thing we do know? The, the person who attacked that the, the, the young lady in Karakata is Bradley Robert Edwards. He's admitted it. And the other thing we know is he worked for Telstra. So 
you're right now what what Ms. Barbara Gallo said today and she did it with a with an element of of, of humor I suppose given the seriousness of it was just try to paint so she painted scenarios from the, from her point of view of what could be said and then she painted the reverse scenarios well okay you're on if you want to take it so far um, is it possible then that um, Jane and Kira both traveled in these uh, this mystery car in this this VS series Commodore in the days leading up to the both their murders. Then they rubbed up against a Telstra worker um, on the mm-hmm. nights of both their murders, months and months and months apart. Um, and then she pointed to all the other similarities as well as that, the fact that they both disappeared on a weekend from Claremont. They were both dumped in remote locations. They were both left basically in the middle of nowhere with you know, in in areas that they should never have been found, um, and then, as we've said, layered and layered and layered it all up, um, which to come to the conclusion, which will probably be tomorrow, is that there is no other, there is no other scenario, Your Honour. Um, Bradley Edwards killed them. And I guess this idea that, you know, this coincidence thing, you know, it is such a strong idea because when you think of it like that, and this is almost like um, Damien's yesterday talking about, you know, the the gymnastics that you perform in this. And again, it's sort of like a double backflip with a twist, um, Mm. taking it in this different direction and making you think of it in another way. Yeah. And uh, Justice Hall in his in his. Um, rear intellectual way summed it up today by using the analogy of Occam's razor, which is a theory that goes to the the fact of something is you know the, the most logical conclusion is the one that you don't have to make um, the, the least amount of assumptions to get there. So if you wanted to get to well, in Miss Bar Gallo's case, her argument today was, well, look, if you wanted to get to um, a scenario where both these girls were were not killed by Mr. Edwards, then you'd have to make myriad of assumptions that they rubbed up against Telstra mm. people, that they, they'd somehow come into contact with this, this the same car, um, and then you take the Karakata victim as well. Um, the assumptions just become too preposterous, to use her words, yeah. um, for it to be any other that any anything other than the, the scenario the prosecution want Justice Hall to find, which is there was one man. It's been amazing, hasn't he? Justice Hall with his questioning, it's so mm. precise and asking for clarification and confirmation and uh, what is the other um, suggestion that it's almost like he's doing the defence um, <laughs> lawyers thinking ahead of time. Um, and he's he's been quite. I mean, a lot of his stuff's interrupted, and uh, by Justice Hall picking up on minute points, but saying, "Is this right?" and "What's the possibility of that?" So he's covering absolutely every. I think every point. Was Miss Barbagallo asked by Justice Hall about uh, the the possibility and the theories of contamination at the crime scenes? Yes, yes. He well, she she went there um, herself as as she. You know, needed to, I suppose, because that is another theory that might be might be postulated um, as to how those fibers got there. But again, she pointed out, well, you know, none of the operatives had this car. Mm. They all mm. wore different sort of uniforms that 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 didn't have this type of blue fiber, blue polyester fiber. Um, she did point to uh, the the common um, 
attendees at both crime scenes, and there were about half a dozen um, of the same people that attended the crime scene at Wellard, where Jane was, and Eglinton, where Kira was. But again, she she then went to on to stress, but you know they weren't wearing you know they weren't wearing Telstra work pants. They weren't they weren't in some cases weren't even wearing any blue polyester. They all drove different cars. If they did get there in a car then this would have to be the scenario they would have had to brought the fibers with them then they would have had to um, from the from the the holding commodore then they would have had to endure it for about three hours before this is dr clive cook the pathologist who said he possibly might have got to one of the crime scenes in a holding commodore but then then it would have been three hours before it was close to the head of the girls and that and then that fiber wouldn't have had to fly flown off him through the air and settled on so it's really trying to paint the, you know, the, the 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 most preposterous picture that she could about the possibility of contamination. Now, I'm sure Mr. Dovich, when he gets his turn, whether it be tomorrow or the, or the following day, will will um, will stress that well, maybe it's not as impossible as Ms. Barbara Gallo makes out. And then, of course, it'll be up to um, be up to Justice Hall to um, to to make his conclusions um, and come to a verdict. Yeah, that's right. I mean, right now, at this point in time, it um, sounded like it was a very, very strong summary of all of that fibre evidence and its tie-in. So then this afternoon, the argument moved to propensity and Ms Barbagallo posed the question, so was he just a rapist or was he a rapist and a murderer? Which is the question that we've been posing to ourselves <laughs> for eighty-eight and a half days now, Nat. Yeah, but this this again was <clears throat> Miss Barbara Gallo going further than she's ever been able to go, really, because you can't put a scenario to a witness. You put questions to a witness, and they tell you the story. Yes, but then Miss Barbara Gallo will take the entirety of that the, the, those witnesses and come up with a story that she says it is open for Justice Hall to find. And this was compelling, This and again, disturbing today, <clears throat> this afternoon, because she said, from the evidence of that rape victim at Karakata, it is open for Justice Hall to conclude that not only was he out to sexually attack her, but he was out to kill her. He, she says it is open on the evidence that presented <clears throat> that he wanted, and he being Bradley Edwards, wanting to, wanted to murder that young teenager that night. And she got there by, by pointing um, Justice Hall to the end of that attack. <clears throat> when it was over, we know that Mr. Edwards picked up the young lady, put her in some bushes, um, walked off, came back, picked her up from those small cops of bushes and placed her in a larger um, bushes, but very close by. At this time, the young lady was pretending to be unconscious. She wasn't unconscious, but she was pretending to be. And Miss Barbara Geller said, well, think about that. If he would just wanted to attack her, why wouldn't he just leave? Why would he go, come back, go and come back again and hide her? for all intents and purposes, in these bushes. And she said the conclusion that could be drawn is that he was hiding her so he could come back later and kill her. And the motive for that, she said, would be identification because 
at some point in the during the attack, Mr. Edwards has taken the hood off that young lady that he put on when he abducted her, and that would go to identification. And then there was also the physical material that he was likely to have left behind during the attack, which would also go to identification. And this was the point, Ali, that Justice Hall really started testing that theory with Miss Barbara Gallo and asking quite blunt questions, really, as to, well, is it possible for me to find that? Why would you say that? Isn't there some other scenario why he would have left her there? Um, The question that's really divided the uh, legal fraternity, just talking around them, does a rapist stay as a rapist or does a rapist, you know, is that his modus operandi and he only does that or does he, in fact, can he graduate to a serial killer? But also, um, I think, too, you could point out that with the uh, rape victim, she never screamed. She didn't do anything. Um, So he probably felt, um, as you say, he had a bit more time. There was no immediate screaming that would have, attracted attention she was very quiet she played played you know sort of dead Tim so, so when Justice Hall uh, um, said to Ms Barbagallo is there you know you know how can you be so certain that he was coming back for her that he uh, his intention was to kill her could there not have been some other reason for for these the various way that it happened did she respond to that yeah well and she said well you just look at the evidence you look at the logical conclusion as to as to the motive as to why he would do that. And so the picture they painted was of Mr. Edwards, obviously, as we know, abducting this young woman, putting her in the car, driving her around, taking her to Karakata. But then she raised the two um, pieces of evidence or witness um, accounts from security guards in and around that um, cemetery on that night. And if we remember way back, there was there was a security guard that did uh, at Hollywood Hospital saw the van, but there were also two security guards actually patrolling the cemetery at that time, one with a torchlight and one with a sort of buzzer thing that went round um, and he had to, um, you know, clock in and clock off mm. to, uh, to, to show that he'd done his rounds. And Miss Barbara Gallo postulated, well, it could be that Mr. Edwards was disturbed in the in the midst of that attack by these two security guards. Um, he's he stopped. He's got spooked. Um, he's um, finished what he was doing. Picked up the young woman, put her down, walked away. Thought better of it. The security around. I don't want to be um, caught. Come back. Dumped her in the bushes again. And gone away again. Um, with the intention of coming back later because he thought she was unconscious to mm. kill her. But when he has come back and and the theory about the, the him coming back in the van was taken then to the Hollywood Hospital security guard who said he spotted a van with a Telstra logo on it that night. He said, um, or Miss Bar- Barbara Gallo said, that could have been Mr. Edwards coming back in the van to try and find the young lady, but she wasn't unconscious after all. She managed to mm. rescue herself, get to the hospital and escape. So, look, I'm pretty sure Mr. Yavis is going to point to various holes in that, possible holes in that story and say, mm. look, that is just, that is just, you know, way off beam. You, you, I mean, you can't really um, uh, come to that conclusion, but Miss Barbara Gallo's put it out there um, and it was something that we'd all thought about. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fair to say, but um, uh, we hadn't heard it in such graphic terms um, until this afternoon. Definitely. And was there any reaction from Mr Edwards in relation to that today? He no, was, been... well, 
yeah, I was I, I was watching him when that when that postulation was being made, and he was more he was more he was paying more attention then than I think he has done throughout the whole two days so far. Um, he's mostly head down, um, scribbling away, but he was he was looking quite intently across the courtroom when that theory was being um, put, um, and. Yeah, I, I I wondered whether that shocked him as much yeah. as it um, possibly shocked everyone else. Was the courtroom full today? Very. It wasn't as crowded as it has been, no. A little little less, um, I think, probably people thinking it's winding up. Um, certainly not the crowds that it has been for the first two days. Mm. Right. Yeah, but but still, I mean, a huge amount of interest in that. Um, and... and uh, um, that's not to be that's not surprising i suppose um given that we really are getting to the to the pointy end now um and we you know you're getting a a fair and fast summary of um of everything that's gone before that's right so uh tomorrow will most likely be ms barbagallo's final day um Mm -hmm. do you know what else to expect tomorrow no, she just said that um, she expected to um, wind up either by lunchtime or just shortly afterwards. So presumably um, the defence will be um, on their feet right straight away. Mm, yeah, um, which will be the end of a very, very long, long innings for Miss Barbara Gallo, um, 88 days, and most of that time spent on her feet or, or, or certainly directing traffic from her chair um she <laughs> joked with me um before before her illness that um just keep an eye on me when i when i actually sit down after my <laughs> closings because you might see a puff of the cheeks and an exhalation um, <laughs> of um because uh, i mean it, you know it's, it's just well, she, a mama. she said she was talking as fast as she can to me today. Yeah. and i said well we were all praying for your speedy recovery because we didn't want it to go on any any longer but she said no yeah. she said I'm going through it and she is she's really sort of going through it quite fast um, yeah. aware of the time I think too yeah the, the you know the, the level of detail yeah. is absolutely extraordinary no, no question about that well uh, before we go we thought we'd let you know that our producer Kate Ryan has put together a bit of a catalogue of previous podcasts and these are the podcasts that relate specifically to Ms Barbagallo's closing submissions so some of the detail we obviously can't include in the podcast but if you wanted to go back and take a listen the episodes you would need to look out for if you're looking for DNA reform It's episodes 35 to 59, so that really was a very long time. If you want that in a condensed form, episode 35 was a lesson in DNA. If you're looking for fibre episodes, uh, they are episodes 60 to 81. Um, so breaking those down, episode 61 is the FBI connection, episode 65 is the car seizure, and episode 81 is the very strong chance that Kira was in Edward's car. The information on the Huntingdale attack is episode 10, the Karakata attack is episode 11, and the Hollywood Hospital attack is episode 7. So you'll be able to find all those details there. Thank you both for today. We'll see you back in court tomorrow. Uh, almost there at the very pointy mm. end now. Yes, nearly there, Matt. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a marathon, not a sprint, I think that's fair to say. Absolutely. And thank you for your company. Ms Barbagallo should wrap her closing tomorrow before Mr Jovic takes the stand. Join us then for day 89 of Claremont and Conversation as this marathon trial draws ever closer to its final conclusion. Chat tomorrow. 
This podcast is hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan, and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. And if local news delivered differently appeals to you, tune into WA's newest morning show, The West Live with Jenna Clark. It's talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.